This is Vancouver Housing Stories, a podcast miniseries about renting in Vancouver. I'm Helena Crobath and I helped put this project together. The pieces were created with support from Vivo Media Arts Centre and the BC Arts Council, as well as members of the Vancouver Tenants Union and a group of storytelling mentors. To learn more about the project, check out the links on our SoundCloud page. In this first episode, hosts and producers Maddie Delplain and Melissa Roach share stories of tenants who stuck together to fight against evictions and landlord harassment. We hear from members of the Vancouver Tenants Union and follow the organization's work to put new policy in place aimed at helping to keep tenants in their homes. Stick around after when I chat with Sydney Ball from Vancouver Tenants Union Steering Committee. Sydney will update us on some of the policies we heard about in the episode and direct us to further resources. Some people might know this one. Who's got the power? You say, got the power. What kind of power? power. Who's got the power? Because that would be so Vancouver if they did that. Well, um, the landlord showed up one night with his three or four sons to physically evict all of us from the building and the property. So it got serious. Probably the most serious legal battle with a landlord I've ever experienced. And it was scary. In a city where the municipal government defines $2,056 a month for a one-bedroom as affordable, renters in Vancouver are feeling the squeeze of the region's current housing crisis. Renters comprise just over 50% of the entire city's population. And with rental prices rising faster than wages, more and more of Vancouver's residents are seeing their housing security being put at risk. Decades of weak tenancy laws has meant that tenants are being evicted en masse for profit. But now they're fighting back. The Vancouver Tenants Union, or the VTU, was started by a group of concerned renters in Vancouver in 2017 in response to the affordable housing crisis and mass displacement of the city's tenants. They're organizing to stand up for tenants, for people who are insecurely housed, and for people who aren't housed at all. Since its formation, the VTU has gained a membership of nearly 1,500 tenants, and has been at the forefront of advocacy for tenants' rights in the city, going door-to-door to educate renters about their housing rights, and recently to push forward more tenant-focused laws and emphasize the importance of housing as a human right. The VTU is pushing back against rent evictions, dem evictions, and aggressive buyouts in the region. I'm Melissa Roach. And I'm Maddie Delplain. For the next 30 minutes, 
we're going to walk you through some of the basics of Vancouver's housing policies and protections against rent evictions and dem evictions. We'll break down some of the most recent wins in tenants' rights and shed some light on what's to come and how you can protect yourself from becoming one of Vancouver's many displaced renters. The term rent eviction is a Vancouverism that has come about to describe an eviction practice that is far too common in Metro Vancouver. In a case of rent eviction, a landlord evicts their tenants in order to do some significant work on the unit or building, forcing current occupants to leave their homes. Legally, your rent can't increase by more than a small percentage each year. For 2019, the limit was 2.5%. But once you've moved out, there's no limit to what the landlord can charge the next tenant who moves in they could double it or even triple it if they wanted. So landlords have a lot to gain from evicting their tenants. There's a huge incentive to force people out. This can lead to cases of illegal eviction by various means of coercion, intimidation, and even violence. To shed some light on how the housing crisis is playing out on the ground, BTU volunteer Helena Krobath spoke with Kamea Molina, who shared what it was like to challenge a rent eviction and to endure three separate arbitration cases with a difficult landlord. They had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. And we had um, 87 pages of evidence between all of us. Kameo has been living in her apartment in Mount Pleasant for 11 years now. Some of her biggest grievances with her landlord started with a leaky bathroom and things only seem to get worse from there. So yeah, where to start? Uh, we had a leak in our bathroom floor and it was leaking down into the unit below. Um, I tried to get that fixed and they wouldn't, of course. Kameo struggled to get any response from her landlord. She was just hoping to get standard repairs done. In this case, fixing the leak in her bathroom but her landlord would avoid her calls and emails. Neglecting repairs and maintenance can be one sign that a landlord is planning to renovate or demolish a property. Sue Robinett of the VTU has experienced this landlord tactic firsthand. Um, what happened is we put together um, an evidence package. We had a very strong case. Um, our package was over 500 pages long and we documented everything, every nasty email, every, you know, he didn't, um, have the uh, recycling picked up for five months and just basically tried to torture the tenants and tried to get us all to leave. And many tenants did leave, they just couldn't handle it. Sue is talking about a case of dem eviction in Vancouver's West End, where tenants are being evicted by any means necessary and intensely pressured by a new building owner to accept buyouts and clear the building for demolition. So a lot of these um, new owners will come in and try to offer um, a few months of rent, uh, maybe moving fees, and basically really undershoot what the tenancy is worth. And, you know, they will come in and say that you don't have any other options. It's either this or you'll be out in a couple of months. And tenants who don't know their rights generally will, um, will believe it. Or maybe they suspect something's wrong, but they would just rather get out um, before, you know, something bad happens. 
but yeah, basically, um, it's an undervaluation of the tenancy, especially a long-term tenancy. And um, some people have likened it to fraud because you're basically um, telling someone that a legally binding contract that they have is no longer valid um, unless they, you know, jump through these hoops. So um, most of the tenants that were remaining um, got a fourth eviction notice, and one household of seniors received a fifth eviction notice. Um, days after their fourth so it was a case of harassment um, basically the landlord came in and um, did an inspection after taking away their storage unit in the basement and then looked around and said oh your place is too cluttered here's your eviction notice for causing a fire hazard and that was i think served three days after their fourth eviction notice yeah and those tenants by the way had been there 38 years in cases like these, where tenants are being abused and bullied, the VTU offers support with things like mobilizing your neighbors, filing official grievances with the Residential Tenancy Branch, and connecting you with legal advocates to guide you through the processes involved in challenging a landlord's actions. Kameo's landlord troubles started before she was aware of the VTU, which was still in its infancy at the time. So she did the work of advocating for herself. After going through the dispute process where the arbitrator rules in her favor, finally the landlord sent someone in to deal with the leak, but the repairs weren't sufficient. Um, so the, yeah, the arbitrator just ruled in my favor and she said that they need to fix the bathroom. So they came, oh, and then she had also asked or at the office, they said, is there anything else you want to include in this claim? And I said, well, there's a bit of mold on the wall. On the, on the wall. So I included that. But the main claim was the floor. Um, so when they came to, like, sort of fix the, the bathroom, they sent somebody and they just nailed up a board to the wall. On top of the mold. Yes. Let's break down what arbitration actually means. So arbitration is overseen by the residential tenancy branch which is the government department in charge of tenancy law. If you and your landlord aren't able to reach an agreement on your own, an arbitrator will try to reach a solution during something called a dispute resolution hearing, which is sort of like going to landlord-tenant court. Any decisions made at the end of arbitration are considered legally binding. These landlords uh, that try um, eviction, oftentimes they aren't used to the tenant's you know, having a lot of knowledge, and most tenants don't have knowledge, and most tenants just bow out and leave. You know, I think probably over 90% of the tenants just leave because they don't know any better. And the few that do stay and fight, um, you know, if they put up any kind of a fight, the landlord can then go and spend, you know, thousands, hundreds and thousands of dollars on um, a high-paid lawyer when we are dealing either with no advocate or, you know, advocates who are working for free so it is really unbalanced for sure the it, it's kind of you know i'll just get into the technicalities here basically you get a certain amount of days to file a dispute um uh, resolution um against the eviction and you get three days longer if it's stuck to the door rather than given to you in person but what the landlord did was he came by at night and took pictures of our doors with the notices removed and that was his argument that look you know they filed late so basically um, that was the technicality that we were 
caught on and our advocate at the time from the Vancouver Tenants Union told us, you know, look, I'll fight this with you if you want to, but I think that you should take the settlement. And that's basically what we did. So um, it would be it would be um, classified technically as an aggressive buyout because it was a very aggressive tactic that they took. And he hired um, a very fancy lawyer who uh, works on a lot of eviction cases. So. You can go to an arbitrator for a variety of reasons. Anything from repairs that you've brought up with your landlord that they haven't addressed to more extreme cases like receiving an eviction notice. The VTU recommends that, particularly in instances where you've received an eviction notice, it's very important that you don't leave your apartment without figuring out if you have other options. Namely, by contacting the VTU and by filing your dispute at the residential tenancy branch as soon as possible. The amount of time you have to dispute your eviction depends on the type of eviction notice you've received, when and how it was delivered, as well as the date posted on the notice itself. You likely have less time to file your dispute than you think. For example, if your landlord delivered a 10-day eviction notice to you by hand today, you'd only have five days to file your dispute with the RTB. If you've received an eviction notice, you can go to the RTB website and use their calculator to figure out how much time you have left to file your claim. Some landlords have used these strict deadlines to their advantage. So, so then I went back and filed another arbitration because they weren't, they didn't fix it. And so I had photos and that part was, um, um, the, I think, I guess it's the RTV that everything's filed through. Um, they didn't have like an online uploading system. So I had to go buy two thumb drives, like to, to put photos, one for the landlord and one, one for the RTV and there's no way to like add to that or and anyway. And then we got, I got the same arbitrator, um, which I thought was kind of lucky. Yeah. Um, and I <clears throat> took that arbitration phone call in my car in the parking lot at SFU, which made me late for a final exam. I couldn't change the exam or the arbitration date. I talked to my prof and he said, it's fine if you're late. So that was ridiculous and super stressful. So, so arbitration is just mandatory of the date that they set you know. Yes. I asked them about changing it and they said I could if I have the other party's consent oh, to change. So that, and I was like, I didn't even ask. Yeah. There's no way. I was yeah. not going to ask. Cameo's arbitrator determined that her landlord was required to fix the leak. And if they didn't, each following month she could deduct $100 from her rent. Despite this, the landlord didn't fix the bathroom for an entire 10 months. Though Kameo admits that the break-in rent was nice, she was upset that there weren't higher consequences for the landlord's neglect. And living with a leaky bathroom for more than a year at this point was getting pretty old. Despite going through arbitration twice at this stage, this was far from the end of Kameo's struggle with her landlord. Shortly after her second arbitration for the leak in her apartment, the landlord searched her entire building with illegal eviction notices. So, yeah, so we all got illegal eviction notices. So then that's when we filed a group claim. And so um, at the time, did, what was the pretext for the illegal eviction? Um, they were going to renovate the whole building. Staircases and everything. They had a quote of $100,000. Okay. <laughs> which we knew was never ever going to happen if we can't even get them to fix one little thing. Right. right. So we knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, and then, um, 
And that was, sorry, just, that wasn't to evict and come back. That was to evict, they would reno and rent to new people. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they might have also wanted to jump a whole price tier or something. Yes. If they did do For that. sure. Yeah. Okay. For sure. After arbitration, Kumeo and her neighbors agreed to a settlement that included a $100 a month increase in their rent in exchange for fewer renovations than the landlord had proposed, but with the promise of being able to return to their apartments. So although no new fancy stairwells and the supposed $100,000 worth of proposed renovations would be done, this meant that Kameo and her neighbors wouldn't be forced to permanently leave their homes. This type of deal isn't something that the VTU's reps would normally advise that tenants accept, but Kameo and her neighbors are already paying well below market value for their area. In this case, not accepting the deal could increase the risk that the landlords would decide to sell the property to a different developer who would likely evict the tenants anyways. Despite winning their case and narrowly dodging renovation, Kameo's landlord has since retaliated in other ways, by taking away the storage space downstairs, and by destroying gardens that the tenants had on the property in order to develop what Kameo says is a largely unnecessary parking lot, particularly as the neighborhood has ample free street parking. These measures have all been seen as ways of punishing Kameo and her neighbors for refusing to accept the landlord's attempts at renovation. They don't care, and because they only want to penalize those of us who were part of the arbitration. So they've told me if I park there, I will be towed. But the new people can park there. Kameo says the landlords are still trying to do everything they can to get rid of the original tenants who fought the eviction. Though she paid her rent as usual by e-transfer, Kameo received a fourth eviction notice shortly before the third arbitration date for not paying her rent on time. Her landlord later requested payment by check instead. Kameo had to order a checkbook to adapt to her landlord's new change in payment method. But in the time it took for Kameo to receive her checkbook from the bank, the landlord had already taken advantage of this delay to issue another eviction notice. Kameo included the fourth eviction notice on her list of disputes during the third arbitration meeting, and despite her landlord's efforts, was yet again allowed to stay in her apartment. Kameo and her neighbors have managed to secure a win against their landlords, and have been so far able to stay in their homes for a relatively small financial cost. Well, not including all of the time and the emotional energy it's taken in the battle to secure their housing. Unfortunately, for many residents of Metro Vancouver, many of these stories don't end the same way. At a VTU meeting, we met a woman in her 60s who is currently fighting a renovation battle in the West End, and is fearful she'll be forced to move into a much smaller apartment or leave the city. We also met a man who we'll call George, who lost his home of 22 years to renovation, only to see the now vacant apartment building remain empty nearly a year and a half later. George's partner has since suffered a stroke, and he's currently in a temporary living situation, contending with the stress of his partner's condition and trying to find a place to live that aligns with his now reduced household income. So where do we go from here? Though BC tenancy laws do restrict the amount that a landlord can raise the rent to an existing tenant, one of the biggest issues that the VTU has highlighted here is that rent is tied to the tenant and not the unit. Tying rent instead to the unit and not the person renting it is one of the main components of VTU's campaign to bring real rent control, or what is sometimes called vacancy control, to Vancouver. Vancouver's lowest income group spends 91% of their income on rent and utilities, and rentals within their price range are disappearing left and right. 
Right now, there are zero purpose-built rentals going up for households making less than $50,000 a year. And the mayor of Vancouver has said, if you make less than $30,000 a year, there's not much that policy can do. With so much need for affordable housing in the city and so few options for middle and low-income renters, we wanted to dig deeper into what's being done to fight back against Vancouver's mass displacement. Sara Sagai reported back on Motion B10 efforts at the July 6 VTU meeting held at the Carnegie Center. Who here has been to City Hall? Ah, that's what I want to see. So if I had asked this question a year ago, maybe would have been how many people? What here? Okay. Maybe about like two percent of that. In November of 2018, city councillors Gene Swanson and Pete Fry put forward a motion to strengthen the city's tenancy laws by amending the Tenant Relocation and Protection Policy. This amendment, also known as Motion B10, was intended to expand these protections and address rent eviction specifically. City Hall was flooded with tenants who spoke in favor. The original motion called for the implementation of vacancy control and the regulation of buyouts. Tying rent control to the unit through vacancy control would effectively get rid of the incentive to rent evict, since there'd be a limit to what the landlord could charge all future tenants for any given unit. organized um, for a motion that Council Gene Swanson sitting right there uh, and it's something that came to be known as B10 it was a motion to stop rent evictions that was what the motion was called right how do you stop rent evictions it, the, the idea we had and actually Berkeley Tower folks had Carol's here from there um, was to extend, expand the city's tenant relocation and protection policy in a way that would actually stop rent evictions. Before Motion B10, the protection policy only applied to purpose-built rental buildings, and not what the city calls secondary rental stock. This left a large number of tenants unprotected, like tenants who live in single-family homes, basement suites, and condos. Another major loophole around the rent evictions has to do with permits. Uh, a month ago, on June 11th, they came back with the recommendations and they said, here's how we're going to fix the policy based on your motion. And we did a little bit of analysis on whether that actually addresses what we asked them to do or not. And they did extend, to some extent, to all forms. We talked about this earlier. Um, the main problem with the policy not covering all tenants is this exclusion. Tenants living in secondary uh, rental housing, which includes single families, includes uh, condos, if you rent a condo, um, they're not covered by this policy at all. So if they get evicted, they won't get any kind of protection from the city. We wanted to close this loophole. And the second thing we wanted to close is um, this thing called building permit, as opposed to development first. It's going to get super technical because City Hall, this is how it works. It's a lot of jargon. They don't make it accessible to citizens. And this has been our work trying to understand it and try to translate it to tenants so we can all understand and try to change it together. So building permit is a thing that landlords can get 
uh, when they want to renovate a place. They don't, they're not trying to redevelop it, tear it down, build new things. They just want to put like new kitchen counters or whatever, um, or maybe a little more substantial. So they need building permits for that. If you're getting renovated with just a building permit, this policy doesn't apply to you. So that's a major loophole because a lot of the renovations happen with just a building permit, no development permit needed. Other proposals included investigating changes to the Vancouver Charter to include better protection for renters. The Vancouver Charter is a provincial statute that regulates how the city of Vancouver operates. So the city would need to approach the province directly to ask for these changes. B10 also asks that tenants be informed of their rights anytime the building they're living in is sold. The original motion called for the implementation of vacancy control and the regulation of buyouts. Tying rent control to the unit through vacancy control would effectively get rid of the incentive to renovate, since there'd be a limit to what the landlord could charge all future tenants for any given unit. Some of the important things we didn't get in the, in the change, what was it? So the building permit issue, I talked about it already, we haven't seen a lot of action on that yet. Vacancy control, city came out just against it, they don't want to tie rent control to the unit, we don't know why, other than the fact that landlords really, really, really hate it. Um, but why is the city listening to landlords? Because tenants are not there, and that's our work. Um, the, another, most, another really important thing that we should try to get, and it would also basically end a lot of renovations and demovictions if tenant had this right, was re is returning at the same rent or at an affordable rent. So sure, renovate the place, even demolish it, build a new one, but let the tenant come back at a reasonable rent, at an affordable rent. Since the motion passed, both Swanson and the BTU have described it as a partial victory. They doubled the compensation required for being evicted but that doesn't actually discourage renovations and demovictions. A one-time payout is pennies in comparison to what the landlord can make long-term by raising rents. Dwindling affordable rental stock also means that displaced tenants likely have much higher rents to look forward to wherever they end up next. The VT warns that without proper policy protections in place for renters, renoviction and demoviction rates are likely to skyrocket in the coming years. In the last five years alone, 323 rental buildings, with a total of 8,100 units, have been sold in Vancouver. With gentrification on the rise, and given that the majority of Vancouver's rental stock was built between 1950 and 1970, many of these older buildings are being sold and are likely to undergo drastic renovations or be demolished entirely to make way for newer, more expensive units in the very near future. So on that note, one thing that keeps that is happening now a lot, and this is really important, I want to make this a really important point, that as a result of this policy becoming sort of harder, right, on developers, that they're, they're being asked to do more things, which they're willing to do. They can evict the tenants in the end, but it's still harder, right? So what happens, we're seeing a lot of examples of it, is they come in and they tell the tenants that they intend to redevelop or they intend to renovate or whatever and they have to leave and they say oh sure we'll find you a place to go we'll compensate you we'll do all these things that the city is telling you to and then radio silence nothing so the tenants are just sitting with the anxiety and the uncertainty of what's going to happen and they hear nothing nothing from the city nothing from the developers and eventually they leave 
and they, so tenants are starting to self-evict, basically. It's really, it, that's, that's really terrible. It's really terrible that people are voluntarily evicting themselves. So we have this idea, I'll just throw it out, but we'll talk about the details of it maybe at the next meeting. These are all the buildings that have been sold in the city of Vancouver in the last five years. There's 323 of them, 8,100 units. All of these buildings are at risk of eviction, renovation, demo, demolition, etc. What we want to do is we want to tell the tenants in all these buildings, don't leave, because there is something we can do about it, even if they, they try to evict you. And wait for the eviction notice, at least, because then you can fight it. You can go to the RTV, and we can help you. But when you leave, it just makes it so much easier on the developer. Uh, I think one of the reasons that we were successful is that we all stayed united with this. And I think that paid off. Yeah. Um, we had a shared Google Doc that we all contributed to. We had, like, um, email threads with all of us on it so that we all knew what everybody was dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that was one of the main reasons for our success. Unfortunately, there seem to be few consequences for landlords like Cameos, who frequently and frivolously issue eviction notices. So tenants in all these buildings, they need to unite, and they need to say, we're not going to leave until you force us to leave, and, uh, and then we try to fight it. And anyway, so at City Hall, working group, we're trying to work on some ideas about how to counter this problem. If you've received an eviction notice, remember, don't leave. File your dispute with the Residential Tenancy Branch as soon as possible. If you and your neighbors are in the same boat, reach out to them. Reach out to the VTU, and remember there are people in the city who have your back. So, the question remains, who's got the power? There's plenty more work to be done to protect Vancouver's renters, who make up the majority of the city's population. The Vancouver Tenants Union continues to advocate for changing these policies that have been so harmful to our city's renters for so long. The gains that have already been made by the VTU tell us that when we join together to stand up for our rights, we've got the power. A special thank you to Vivo Media Arts Centre for the use of their space, and to the Vancouver Tenants Union and the CITR News Collective for letting us use their audio footage for this project. Synth transition music was created by Helena Crobath, and all other music was written and performed by Nicholas Camacho-Logan. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode that was so carefully researched and put together by Maddie and Melissa. I have Sydney Ball with me here now to talk a little bit more about the policy that was introduced in the segment and catch us up to speed on any new developments. Thanks for being here, Sydney. Thanks, Elena. So since the recording of this podcast, the amendments to the City of Vancouver's Tenant Relocation and Protection Policy, or TRPP, that Maddie and Melissa talked about in the podcast have begun to take effect. Um, in October of 2019, the Vancouver Tenants Union organized a rally with the tenants from a building that is slated for redevelopment in the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood of Vancouver. The tenants are demanding that the city enforce the relocation portion of the TRPP, and they say that their landlord has failed to help them find suitable accommodations, hiring a PR firm that just sent them Craigslist postings. 
Um, they also say that their landlord is threatening them with bailiff removal if they don't leave their homes. There are a lot more affordable rentals that have either been approved for development at City Hall or are currently at high risk of being torn down and replaced with much more expensive rentals or condos, especially with the incoming Broadway subway line. For updates on this story, I really recommend that you take a listen to the latest episode of the podcast Democracy Watch from CITR 101.9 FM. It came out on September 19th, 2019. The episode's titled, Does the TRPP Have Teeth? And it includes interviews with Vancouver City staff, elected officials, and really importantly, tenants who are impacted by how the policy is implemented. And you can listen to that podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or at CITR.ca. I also definitely recommend you check out the Vancouver Tenants Union. You can head to VancouverTenantsUnion.ca for more information on local organizing for housing justice. 